How do we tell stories that engage, inspire, and have a lasting impact? How do we turn thoughts and ideas into effective and authentic storytelling? How can we use stories to make a difference in our work, lives, and communities? I'm your host, Camille DePutter, and together we'll explore what it means to tell stories with heart. Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling with Heart podcast. I am your host, Camille DePetter, and with me today is Kat Velos. Kat is a trusted expert on the power of cultivating meaningful friendships. She's a speaker and author of the book, We Should Get Together, The Secret to Cultivating Better Friendships. She's also the creator of the Better Than Small Talk conversation cards in the Better Conversations calendar. In Kat's former career, she made software more user-friendly at large companies you've heard of, but these days she makes life more friendly for the thousands of people and work teams who use her guidance to cultivate fulfilling friendships and colleagueships. Love that term. Kat's writing is read in over 100 countries, and she's been interviewed by the New York Times, NPR, Communication Arts, The Good Life Project, and many more. I met Kat years ago at a UX conference when she attended my workshop on storytelling for designers. And in 2022, she presented as an expert guest at my Storytelling Mastery Summit. If you're a leader, a communicator, or simply a human being, there is so much to be learned from Kat. So I'm delighted to have her here today. Kat, welcome to the show. So glad to have you. Hi, thanks for having me, Camille. Thank you. I'm seriously so excited for this chat. It's great. Me too. <laughs> so, um, Kat, I, I kind of warned you that I was going to kick this off with a stupid question and you can unpack <laughs> the problems with it, but I thought it might be fun to, to dive in with kind of a provocative question. Sure. Um, and that question is, how are you? <laughs> um, so I don't know if you want. So I'm going to say what it, the first thing that comes to mind here, which is yeah. what always comes to mind when I hear that question yeah. and why I do think it's a provocative question and why I've written a lot about it, uh, is that we use the words, how are you, as both a greeting and a question. And sometimes it's hard to tell whether somebody means it as just a greeting, like good morning, or whether they mean it as like they really, really want to hear how you're doing. But often it's a middle ground where there's a social script where it's almost like lines in a play. When someone says, how are you? You're just supposed to say, great, how are you? And then they say, great, all right, or like, fine, or whatever. And there's a there's an expectation of answer. And that expected answer doesn't always fit for the reality of where we are in our life. And if, especially if you are not great or feeling fine, it can feel kind of soul deadening to, to say your line, to say the script when you actually have a much deeper answer. And it's not quite clear if the person who asked, how are you really wants to hear mm-hmm. the whole thing? Yeah. So that's... <laughs> And, I, and for it, for listeners who who are like, wow, why did she think about this so deeply? Seems kind of um, maybe overthinking. I will say that my frustration with this question arose for me during the uh, social and racial uprising in the United States after George Floyd was murdered, and I I could not handle the question, "How are you?" coming very like chippy, like cheerily, and 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 like cheerful from people that were like, "Really, you're going to ask me that? How do you think I am?" You know, yeah. so. 
that's a, a small snippet of why I think how are you is a controversial question and why we might want to be more intentional and thoughtful when we're either offering a greeting or truly asking to hear how somebody is and we don't want the script. Mm-hmm. So that's that's uh, for listeners who might be wondering, why why was that provocative? Why did Camille say that? Why is that a big deal? Um, anyone who's interested can read the entire essay on my blog. On my blog. <laughs> Yeah. And it's a great essay and you got a ton of responses to it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of went viral. And a lot of people were saying that they felt the same way with that question and feel that way about that question. Yeah. I, I think it's, I mean, that's so fascinating for a number of reasons, because sometimes I think when we, first of all, the, the way that you took the time to say, I'm going to unpack this a little bit and speak to this thing that I'm feeling about it. You know, this question is making me feel uncomfortable and I'm going to get into that and explore it and present it. You know, to me, that is the beauty of, of writing and communicating and storytelling when we can put to words, something that we feel that it turns out other people are feeling too, Mm -hmm. that hasn't really been presented yet, or that we haven't really seen the words for or encountered before. To me, that's such a magical moment when you can put something out there and it's like, oh yeah, it turns out so many people are feeling the same way. They just maybe haven't really found the words for it yet or been able to articulate it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also, I mean, I was one of the people who wrote back immediately saying like, thank you, because (laughs) I feel the same way a lot, particularly in the pandemic, you know, is also Mm -hmm. having so many times where I'm feeling a, an expectation to kind of carry on and Mm -hmm. present a certain kind of self when in reality, it's like, I, I am struggling. Am I, am I supposed to be okay? Am I supposed to be fine? Because I am not. (laughs) Yeah. And that was so true for so many of us over the last few years in the pandemic of like, if you're having a hard time, are are you supposed to be okay? Are you supposed to say you're okay? And what does it do to you inside when you say you're okay and you know that you're not? Right. Yeah. There's a, there's an erasure of self. There's an invisibilizing that we do to ourselves when we do that. And when the social pressure is there to do that, Mm -hmm. however subtle. Right. And it, Mm -hmm. and it adds up. Mm -hmm. I, also really appreciate how you just explained this, you know, the challenge with this question right now, because I think um, it just is, it shows from a communications perspective and a connection perspective, which we can really get into in this conversation, mm-hmm. how just sometimes being thoughtful um, with our words or our phrases or the the gateways that we use to connect with people and, and really to to talk to people and to have a conversation with people. Um, when we bring more just thoughtfulness and intention to that, I think all kinds of new opportunities arise. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe something that we don't um, we don't think enough about, right? Because we can so easily just use the same scripts or sort of social scripts that we are used to using. But if we want to think about how do we connect better, Mm-hmm. and communicate better. There could be a whole lot of material that we can play around with rather than just using the same 
automatic, simple scripts like, how are you? I'm fine that, that we're used to. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying right now is so completely my jam. And this is why I like basically went down a rabbit hole of like unpacking, like all of the social scripts that we use. And I ended up looking at like, what are the, what are the most common social scripts that we use and how can we not like just disrupt them and like the air quotes of like everyone's trying to disrupt things but actually like transform them and so i i this is how i ended up creating the better conversations calendar which was like let's talk about replacing the question how are you let's talk about replacing the question um how was your weekend where are you from what do you do how was school today how was work today what are you doing for the holidays you know, all of these things, like there are other things we can ask. Those are fine questions to ask if you mean them as questions, but usually what we're trying to get at is maybe something more than the answer you typically get to such a thing. Um, so what else can we add that will actually transform the conversation and take it into new places that would we would never go if we just keep saying the same seven questions over and over again in every conversation of our lives? Right. Yeah. I, I love that. And truly, you know, that whole list are, that you mentioned there are great examples which do appear in, in in your calendar and it just yeah there's there's a little um I don't know that kind of it just a little spark alights in me because it's suddenly like oh yeah there are so many different things that we can think about and different mm-hmm. ways of approaching how do we talk to each other how do we write and that we can maybe play around and, and experiment with so on that note like I, I'm curious about how did you um, how did you get into this? You know, you've kind of carved out a space for yourself as a thought leader and someone who is going to take the time to unpack and explore these kinds of questions and, um, and help people, uh, help people do this better, help people talk to each <laughs> other better, their, their colleagues and teammates and people in their lives. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of like you, you've created this niche for yourself. How did that happen? (laughs) Well, I'm somebody who has been pulling people together in community and in community groups for the last couple of decades. And so this is something that I intrinsically care about, something that I am motivated to do, even as an introvert. (laughs) Um, and And I probably care a lot more about it as an introvert because social interactions will always be tiring for me. And so I want them to be high quality because I'd rather get Mm -hmm. tired on something great than tired on something kind of meaningless. Um, And so that's something that's just a a part of who I am. And then there's also the journey that I went on um, in adulthood of like moving to new states and cities and starting over multiple times. And in in my most recent iteration of that, um, found myself particularly frustrated, for example, with the question, how are you? And, and with how long it takes to go from meeting people to feeling like you have really, really close friends in that new new town that you live in, the new city. And so I um, just kind of follow the thread of my curiosity. So then I was like, wow, I'm noticing this pattern happening in a lot of my social interactions. And it's leading to this sort of like eh, kind of unfulfilling outcome in my life. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels like that. Let me investigate that. Let me ask other people how they're experiencing this. And then what can we do to solve that? So as a designer, I also have a design background, user experience design, as you mentioned. Uh, The question is always like, how might we do this a little bit better? How might we get closer to the goal quicker and more easily and with more joy? And so then I started thinking of like, well, 
the way we often start our conversations is with questions, but the questions that we use aren't working to get us to the better place. So what if we change that? And then I kind of went down a rabbit hole of like getting obsessed with questions for like a year and a half. And I was like writing questions every single day, collecting questions. Friends would be like, oh, I thought of a good question. You should add it to your list. And I, and I cultivated this really big list, um, which I turned into a, a gathering called Better Than Small Talk. And it's a set of conversation cards. And then it was like questions, questions. And then it was like, well, in those conversations, I was hearing so many people say that they were also having trouble making friends. And I got curious about that. And so I followed that thread of curiosity to uh, a lot of qualitative interviews, which is what I'm trained on doing and and doing a lot of writing, which I love to do. And eventually that became the book, We Should Get Together, The Secrets to Cultivating Better Friendships, because it was like, how can we make this goal, right? Having better friendships in adulthood quicker, easier, and more joyful at the same time. And so that's, that's in a nutshell, the whole journey. It took multiple years, but uh, that's where I got to. And, and in terms of how I ended up in this niche, honestly, it's it's a combination of curiosity, passion, and um, it's not exactly devotions. I, maybe it's a little bit of obsession. I was talking to a creative friend the other day, and she was saying how it's it's always funny to her when other people tell her, like, wow, I'm so impressed that you have the discipline to stick with your creative practice. And she's like, it's not discipline. It's just obsession. Like, I can't <laughs> not do this. Like, and, and I feel kind of the same way. It's like, I can't not think about this because it's it's a part of who I am and how I see the world. And so there's no discipline involved when it is just that real and natural and alive for you. And it's mm-hmm. filling that it's like a healthy obsession and we can like <laughs> share it with the world in a way that makes things better uh, rather than something else. Right. So uh, that's, that's what it's been like for me. And that's why it continues to intrigue me and fast and fascinate me, you know, a long time ago. And I think nowadays still too, a lot of people would say like, Oh, follow your passion, follow your passion. And I had a mentee ask me about that. She's like, what, how do I know what my passion is? What should I, how do I follow my passion? And I told her, I was like, mm, I'm going to offer you a spin on that. And I think you should follow the thing that you're curious about and that you anticipate you will remain curious about for a long time, because that is going to provide uh, a more longer term uh, opportunity for you, because you will always be learning about it. You will always be curious about it. And it will always be exciting to you. Passion is a little bit different than a curiosity. And it can be problematic sometimes to try to make your quote unquote passion, your employment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas if you weave your curiosity into the thing that maybe your employment, uh, I think it, I think it can be fulfilling in a different way without as many of the complications that can come with making it from your passion. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea of following your passion is, um, kind of, it's also kind of misleading because it's who's passionate all the time. And honestly, who would want to be, you know, I mean, passion is Uh a pretty intense kind of energy to sustain that with anything in life is, is not really realistic. Um, Mm -hmm. and work is going to be also boring and mundane at times. And there's things that you're not going to like to do. Yeah. I, I love that, uh, following your curiosity and I've, I've heard other people, um, like, uh, somebody I I've had on the podcast before, Dr. John Brardy, who's, who talks about that as well, of going down the rabbit hole and following your curiosity in order to, you know, which will eventually kind of lead you to new and interesting places. Um, I, I think about that too, I, that just the value in 
hey, let's give ourselves some room to be curious and explore the things that we are interested in. Because I I feel there's often so much pressure around like, oh, you need to know what the thing is. And mm-hmm. then, you know, like reverse engineer it, or you need to, you know, know exactly where you're going. And I think if we allow ourselves room to be curious and explore a subject matter and go deeper into it, mm-hmm. as you described doing yourself, it can lead us new and interesting places. I imagine if you sat back years ago and said, okay, I, you know, I'm going to be, let's see, like, <laughs> you know, you, you wouldn't have even thought, oh, I'm going to be a connection coach. No. <laughs> yeah. That's a phrase I hadn't even conceived of at that point. Nor could I have said like, oh, I'm going to like carve out a niche in like the friendship sector or something. Like that's not even mm-hmm. a thing that crossed my mind then. And it's even kind of wild to me that that's a thing that's so present now in my life and in the world in this way. Uh, I couldn't have predicted that. I couldn't have named it. But what I could do was describe my curiosity and say, like, I'm going to follow this for a while and see where it takes me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so can you tell me a little bit more about what that looks like today as a connection coach and working with people and teams, like particularly in that that sort of team environment? What do you do? What do you help them help them with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So most of the time when I'm going into work uh, to speak at companies or to facilitate, of course, it's related to the themes of connection, which which are about my work and the way that connection or disconnection may be manifesting in the lives of the employees in that space, whether that's on an individual team, uh, like a small team uh, who want to have closer connections with each other, but say they've been working remotely or hybrid for a long time, or they may have hired new people who never have gotten to meet the folks in person that maybe previously were in an office together. And so there's this craving for closer connection and, and a bit of bonding between folks on the team, but it's hard for folks sometimes to shift out of the transactional nature of day-to-day work into a more heart-centered experience. And so sometimes I'm working directly with a team like that. Uh, Other times I will go, for example, I do a lot of speaking to employee resource groups at companies. And for folks who may be listening who aren't familiar with those, employee resource groups are an incredible, incredible benefit uh, provided by many companies where it's, it's essentially an affinity group based around certain identity markers. So For example, at at past companies that I worked at, I was in the employee resource group for women. I was in the employee resource group for queer folks. I was in the employee resource group for people of color or black folks, um, which I am. (laughs) For anyone who's listening, can't see me. Um, And so when you are in a space where you feel less alone in, in your company because you get to build community with other people who walk through the world with your identity or the intersection of many identities, it is such a validating and supporting thing. And uh, if your company doesn't offer this, talk to them about spinning one up. Uh, It's a great, great thing. So I often talk to employee resource groups uh, as well that are bringing together staff from different departments, different industries all over the company and building community together. And so we frequently talk about the themes of adult friendship and healthy colleagueship as well as it applies to the work that they're doing in that company and in their profession, even uh, building relationships outside of the company as well. And again, also in their personal life, because that's a part of it too. We'll need better friendships in, in adulthood and it's often quite challenging. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. 
um, I hadn't, I hadn't actually heard about that before of the employee resource groups and love that. And also just this, this notion too, that we are, our work lives and our, you know, quote unquote, personal lives are not separate. They intersect. Yeah. You know, <laughs> humans moving from space to space and, and place to place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the qualities of a healthy friendship look a whole lot like the qualities of a healthy colleagueship. Mm. So in both cases, there will hopefully be a foundation of trust. There will hopefully be a foundation of commitment, like mutual support, mutual enthusiasm, uh, being in it together, you know, like Mm. wanting to contribute to each other's individual and collective success. Uh, There's hopefully going to be some healthy communication, willingness to be vulnerable, to to say hard things, because Mm -hmm. being honest is is more important than bottling up and hiding away from each other. Um, And so many, many of these things are are quite the same. And I often remind people of this when they say, I don't go to work to make friends. I came to work to work. And I'm like, well, hopefully if you have healthy work relationships, they, they will have many, many of the same traits as healthy friendships. And so it would behoove you to think about cultivating that. And so when you're in a healthy work environment, it's going to be a lot easier to for these things to spontaneously occur. It will have uh, been a decision that was a part of hiring. It will be a, part, a decision that's a part of the what the team formation looks like. It will be a part of performance, even performance reviews. Like, how are you showing up as a good team member? And, and again, that looks a whole lot like being a good professional friend. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to say there. And the thing that's different about workplace friendships and non-workplace friendships is that in workplace friendships, you have an extra dimension that isn't often present in non-workplace friendships, which is the fact that you are like collaborating together on accomplishing a goal. Mm-hmm. And that is an incredibly positive like field to be in, like not field as an in industry, but like I'm, I'm envisioning like a sports field, like a soccer right. field. Like that is an, an incredibly productive and positive space to be in for building healthy relationships. Because when people achieve goals together, this is this is also borne out in, in a lot of the research, is that it's one of the things that helps people feel close and bonded together is accomplishing a goal together. So that's an extra benefit for why uh, it's like a virtuous cycle. When you do more of one, you get more of the other. When you work on those healthy relationships, you are probably going to have an easier time collaborating and achieving your goal. And when you achieve the goal together, great. Now your relationship is strengthened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's interesting because I haven't, I I haven't really thought about like friendship and what you call colleagueship in in that way before. But it makes a lot of sense. Um, in your experience, do a lot of leaders or executives or you know CEOs and founders and so on, people kind of at the top of the food chain uh so to speak in in work environments do they see the value of that kind of connection and mm-hmm. what's what is their good leaders do <laughs> yeah can you tell me more about that like what's um clearly people bring you into the organization so i'm just kind of curious about like what you notice about what those good leaders see and observe or try to facilitate maybe compared to maybe compared to to those 
who don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do a keynote uh, around the business case for belonging and good leaders already know what is in this keynote basically. Mm -hmm. And often the reason I'm giving the keynote is for folks who haven't learned it yet or who are new and perhaps still practicing this. Uh, So for example, when people feel connected at work, this isn't just touchy feely, warm and fuzzy stuff. You You know, it is so tied to the success of the company and the success of their projects, their products and their bottom line. So when employees feel lonely or disconnected at work, They think about quitting twice as often. They're also twice as likely to get poached by a competitor. Um, That is magnified if they're also part of a marginalized group like women or people of color or queer and trans folks, et cetera, disabled folks, et cetera. And when people feel connected at work, they produce higher quality work. They're 300 300 times more likely to say that they love the company. They're more committed and they're willing to stay longer. And so it's not, I'm not saying this from the, the perspective, of like, how do we get more out of people? It's like, oh, we should have friendships. We can work them harder. Like, that's not my perspective here. But I will say it is often a natural benefit that happens. So when you think about the psychology of this, if you and I work on the same team, Camille, and, and we're friends, and it's time to do our project and then come together and, and show our work, I'm not going to do crappy work because I care about your opinion of me because you're my friend as well as my colleague. And so this is one of the reasons why I want to do good work because I want you to think highly of me. And I also want to contribute to our collective success. So it's both this like individual thing, as well as the team thing, as well as the larger collective that you're in with everybody else. There is like, you're all moving the ship forward. And if you care about each other, you're probably not going to sabotage each other, get in each other's way, slow each other down or jump, you know, bail out and go somewhere Mm -hmm. else. You're going to want to stick together and you're going to want to reach that goal together. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And maybe also partly because you're having fun. Like it's fun to work. It's fun to work with people that you like. Totally. It's, it kind of makes me think about how for a while there, and I don't know if this is still the case, but like when I, when I worked in agencies and things like that for a while, like everybody was obsessed with this idea of company culture. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but no one was talking about what that really looks like in terms of uh connection or you know some of these qualities of of friendship. Do you have a view on that that idea of like work culture and how that fits into this conversation? Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, culture is often thought of as this kind of overarching umbrella, this like big bowl that everybody's in together. But the way we experience culture is in the quality of our connections with the people that we interact with most frequently. So the company can say, oh, we have such an awesome, healthy, beautiful culture. But if the four people that you interact with most frequently at your job are toxic and disrespectful and mean and sabotaging, All you know is that culture. It's that micro culture that you experience day in and day out. And this is why we need to focus on the individual quality of the relationships in those person-to-person interactions, because that is where your, when you describe the the flavor of that company, it's going to be based on those human-to-human interactions, not the company mission statement that's pasted on the wall about what a great culture you have. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I know this is a big question. But are there any principles or thoughts or, you know, practices or tips that you can offer on the subject of where do we begin if we just, if we want to be able to connect better and and open up more opportunities to start to foster those, 
that feeling of belonging and those you know qualities of, of friendship and the people that we engage with. Mm-hmm. It's important that we are intentional and that we make space for connection when we're in the workplace, whether you are in an in-house at an agency or a company or an organization, or whether you are a solopreneur and doing it on your own, making time and space for meaningful connection is something that we cannot ignore. And we can't just leave up to chance. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, a lot of this was being left up to chance with the assumption that if we go to a physical building and we're in there together, it's going to automatically happen because you're going to bump into people in the hallway. You're going to ride the elevator together. You're going to be filling your coffee at the same time. And yeah, it's true. That proximity makes it far easier to form connections spontaneously. And Sometimes it worked to provide the quality of connection you needed as well. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it was just a lot of small talk and you're talking to people, but you don't necessarily feel connected to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you are especially not going to be sharing physical proximity, it's even more important to intentionally make time for it because what's going to happen instead and what I hear over and over again with my clients and, and the individuals who come to my programs is that if there is an intentional time set for it, what can easily happen is sliding into purely transactional relationships where I talk to you about the work thing. That's it. I'll see you on Slack. I'll post my Mm -hmm. documents, whatever, but I don't know anything about what's going on in your life. I don't know how you are as a human being. I don't get the sense that you care whether I'm here or not, as long as my deliverables get turned in. And so there's this disconnection that is almost going to happen by default if you don't make time and space for it. And one of the things that holds people back is feeling guilty, making time and space for it intentionally because they feel the pressure to look like they're always on and they're always working and they're not wasting any time and they're being productive 25 hours a day. Yes. And it's just not possible to do yeah. that. So, yes. uh, <laughs> and there's this kind of, and I say 25 with a joke because it is like the overwhelm and the overwork that comes with like, it's the reason why people buy those stupid things that jiggle your mouse so that your active dot on like your team chat tool is always green, even though you're like, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to walk the dog. And it's like, but you feel like you need to always be on. And so then it's like, where do you make the time and space for connection? Hopefully your leadership and your managers will be encouraging and supporting to you of making that time and understanding it. If you need to put in your calendar, by all means, I encourage you to realize again, refer back to what I said before, you're actually helping the company, you're you're retaining yourself and other staff when you build those relationships. Um, And then what was the other thing I was going to say? I kind of like, like the thoughts just kind of like blossom in my brain. And then I'm like, which one did I want? (laughs) Yes. I'm very familiar with this. I I mean, you, you have just said so much there and then I'm I'm like just nodding my, my head constantly because um, I I have definitely seen this happen, um, especially in with with teams maybe who are are new to remote work, or even I've seen it with teams who were remote before the pandemic, but they had um, maybe just more deliberate uh, opportunities to come together as a group. You know, certain meetings or gatherings where we would come together, or just sort of more time and space allotted to this. And I have seen, um, I've seen them become so uh, scheduled, and and I experience this with with certain certain clients and organizations as well. I mean, something the reason why I'm a big part of the reason of why I do what I do is honestly to be able to connect with people. Like 
most of my clients are not project-based. They're long-term. Mm-hmm. Some of my clients I've been working with for a decade. And I, I this is maybe sounds <laughs> macabre, but I, I, I like to think like we would go to each other's funerals, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I want to have people in my life who we are, we know, or connected with each other in some way, um, truly for a lifetime and to have a meaningful, like not just to work together, but to get to know each other and genuinely care about each other. There are times in working with maybe a larger team or just a certain situation where it's purely transactional. Many freelancers work that way. Many of them, that's, that's Mm -hmm. how they do all of their work. Um, and whenever I feel that it's transactional, mm-hmm. I, I feel like a part of like a little, it sort of chips away at my soul. It can work occasionally and can be more like just stuff where it's like, that's a cool project and it paid the bills, but it's not, it's not really fulfilling. And the longer mm-hmm. I do that kind of work, the more I feel a, a real sense of discomfort around yeah. it that happens. Um, so I relate to what, to what you're saying there of like that there needs to be space in all of this to actually get to know and care about each other. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I'm hearing in your story too, is the options that somebody has in that situation where as a freelancer, the work is kind of transactional, it pays the bills, but you're, you're providing it, but you're still quite alone. Um, there's the options of either, well, do you try to cultivate more connection with clients or do you try to cultivate connection with other freelancers who might feel the same way that you do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing I try to remind folks of is like what, when you're looking for connection around your work, you don't only have to look in one place. Mm -hmm. And if you are in say a company where you want more connection, but the environment and culture around you isn't supporting that. Like it feels very transactional. Your manager's like, why are you trying to, you know, have a team bonding lunch? That's a waste of time. Like, okay, you're getting these clear messages that the space you're in is not receptive to this, but that doesn't mean you got to suffer alone and stay in this dark place by yourself, mm-hmm. you know, collecting these checks and, and withering away, you can look to professional organizations. You can look mm-hmm. to um, meetup groups. You can look to forming your own like peer support group. I have a whole guide in uh, an article I did in Forbes around if you need a, a professional support group and it doesn't exist, like you can use my playbook for how to create your own. I've done it. Um you have options. You don't have to be alone and you don't have to look only within the walls of your company to make those professional friendships and colleagueships and and friendships because there are many people in many other companies or who are also solopreneurs or whatever it might, whatever your station in work might be. uh, There are other people who also want connection and they just happen to not be hired at the same place that you are or working in your home office with you, but they want connection too. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's such such great advice because I have also heard, um, you know, leaders who I might work with telling me that it feels lonely, you know, they're the 
Like the- Leaders are often one of the loneliest groups in, in the workplace. And we don't talk about this enough. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I can right. share more on that, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love for you to expand on it. The the um, the little bit I was going to share is like often founders, they care so much about the business and are putting so much into it. Yeah. And, you know, the people that they're hiring, maybe they're contractors or part-time employees or employees, whatever, but, you know, they have their own stuff going on. And so meanwhile, the people who are who founded the company or really trying to make it go are like, but I care so much about this thing. No one's going to care about it quite as much as I do. And it, it could be almost like the reverse situation that I described where in fact, the, the people you've hired treat it more as transactional. It's a job for them, mm-hmm. but you're, but you're the leader and you care so much about it. And so I think that's also great advice to then be able to just to recognize, Hey, you might need support from other people who are in your same position. Absolutely. Yeah. I gave a talk a, a year or so ago to a group of, it was, it was a specific group for leaders and high achievers. And it was around connection specifically for this audience, because one of the things that is not thought about or recognized enough when people think about getting a promotion or climbing their career ladder or reaching their goals is that the further you go up the ladder, the lonelier it tends to be Mm. for two reasons. One is that there are fewer people up there in that position, whether it's the C-suite or VP or head of design or whatever it might be. Uh, So you have fewer peers just by numbers with Mm -hmm. whom to connect. And also because it's it's a role that by almost by definition is separated from the team, right? right. It's part of the team, but it's a little bit outside as well. Uh, kind of in the same way that, you know, at an event, a photographer is at the gathering, but they have to stand a little bit outside the gathering in order to capture it. And so when you're in a leadership role, there there is this higher likelihood to feel isolated and to feel disconnected. But the irony is that because it's a coveted position, if many leaders feel guilty or bad uh, expressing or even confessing that they feel lonely because it's like, well, I worked so hard to get here. How can I possibly complain now? Or other people wish they were where I was. I should be fine with it. And so there's this really complex mix of emotions that can come with achieving this great, great big goal, fancy title, you're you know on the top of everybody's list. but but then you feel quite alone in that space too. And so then reaching out to have connections with other people who can understand what it's like to be in that space and in that that position is also really important. And it's also okay to like build stronger relationships with the people that you're managing too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is uh, it actually leads me to another question that I, I would love to get your take on. Um, the question is is this is how can leaders walk the line of you know being quote unquote authentic because connecting authentically like they're being themselves with their teams or their people in their network or, or professional communities while still being like professional and reserved enough like you had mentioned that yes you're a leader but you are you're, you're part of the team but you are on the outside a little bit. So if you're managing a team or you're a leader or you're uh, in the C-suite or what have you, 
then it's like, well, there's also all these expectations. I, I can't just, you know, admit to everybody how I'm truly feeling that day. If I'm feeling <laughs> terrified or completely uncertain of the way things that are going or struggling to kind of keep it together or, you know, wherever you, you are at, um, you know, you have to kind of maintain also this like certain professional veneer while still tr- fostering trust and, and connection and all that good stuff that, that we've talked about that about so far. Do you have an opinion on that? Mm. There's so much theater involved in professionalism. That's a great and word. Theater. And it's, it's what I hear in the question that you're asking is, is around like how much of a role, right. As like a character in a play, right. How much of this performance of professionalism, this performance of being a leader, this performance of, uh, I I used to call it office theater. (laughs) Uh, how much do you do and how much do you be a human who has emotions, who has feelings, who has thoughts, who, wants to be unfiltered sometimes, et cetera. And I think it's important to acknowledge that you're a human and not erase yourself too much in the, what, if you feel like you need to play this performance in your version of professional theater, um, (laughs) your uh, particular work environment may be part of the deciding factor in how much you feel like you need to do that. Uh But by all means, please find a place where you can let your guard down and be real. And where, again, where I often hear this happening is in these closed door affinity groups or closed door um, small groups. It might be a business coaching group. It might be one-on-one working with a business with a business coach or a life coach yourself. Uh, you need to find a place where you can take off those coats. As uh, I once heard in a, in a great uh, talk once was described as like the coats we wear, but it was like, we wear so many coats and you need to find a place where you can take off the coat and be who you are on the inside Mm -hmm. of the coat. And, uh, often I, I think that is either in a one-on-one trusted coaching relationship or in a small support peer support group with other people who understand your exact trials and tribulations and can hold your trust and confidence and privacy when you need to share those things in that setting. Mm-hmm. So that you can show up the right way you need to for the folks that you serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and and to me, as you're speaking, it goes back also to the value of having real friendships, like real friends, where you yes. can absolutely, completely yep. be yourself. I think yep. for many people, their friends maybe still require some performance, but hopefully, ideally, your friends are your safe place to just truly yeah. be yourself and where you, you don't have to wear those coats. Yes. Yeah. I had also one, I, I had um, another thing I wanted to ask you that's a, kind of unrelated to that, although it all sort of fits together. You had mentioned being an introvert. Um, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts or even suggestions for people who are are introverted and who find social interaction um, tiring, as you say, like maybe it's great, <laughs> but it takes energy. It's tiring um, for this kind of stuff. And in particular, you know, maybe you can speak to it as a mar- a marketer as well, like marketing yourself and sharing your 
your thoughts and ideas and getting your brand out there. Cause I think for a lot of people, if we don't naturally, like the sort of ideal person who's out there like marketing themselves and whatnot are, is often like this person who loves to be on video and is super (laughs) energetic and naturally has lots to say, and just like tons of energy and tons of tons of energy for other people. And, um, so yeah, just as we start to wrap up here, I'm wondering if there's any words you would have for us introverts out there who are looking to connect and engage and share our stories, but also maintain <laughs> maintain <laughs> our energy and life force. <laughs> yeah, it is the life force. It's like a battery like draining out. Um, so as an introvert, I always feel the need to clarify, uh, especially for folks who may not be introverts and don't understand us. Um, I'm an introvert, but I'm not shy. So there is a difference between shyness and introversion. Sometimes they overlap a lot. Sometimes they don't at all. Um, So you can be an introvert and be quite outspoken and uh, enjoy being with people and and social interaction. And I do think it's great. And it's also tiring because it's just the way that the energy feels depleted, right? Some people, the more they interact, the more energy they get. And other people, the more they interact, the more tired they get. That's the introvert in me. So uh, with that, the other thing I would say, as far as to the marketing half of the question, um, there's so many ways to share what you have to share with the world. There's not only like being a YouTuber or like constantly making Instagram reels or something. There are so many ways to share what you have to say with the world and it can take so many different forms. So for example, I really love podcasts. We're doing a podcast right now. I love a podcast format because I have a strong preference for audio only experiences. And when I do podcasts, like this lovely conversation, you've invited me here to today, it is a good conversation. It is a juicy, real conversation. We can um, have the kind of conversation that doesn't not naturally spontaneously occur in the course of your day-to-day life. So it is a type of marketing that also is very fulfilling to me as someone who really loves the audio format, consumes a lot of podcasts, enjoys listening while I'm doing other things kinesthetically, moving my body around. And so it's a great, great format for me that feels like an easy form of marketing. And it also feels like a wonderful mutual relationship because when you share your work in a podcast, you're supporting the podcast. But when the podcast shares the podcast, they're supporting you. So it's this wonderful mutuality and balance in it. I love it. Other people might think it's boring. They want to be on video. They want to be in front of a screen all the time. They want to be, I don't know, doing something that feels a little bit more extroverted or more playful uh, or more visual. They can do that. Another thing that I saw that was shared on the uh, Instagram from an organization called Women Talk Design, which which is a great organization. Highly around check, checking it out. If there's any women identified, women or non-binary identified speakers out there who are in the design world or who want to share their work and they're in the design world, they had a great thing that they shared, and it said uh, something to the effect of, "When you want to share." Uh, it's also okay. You don't have to make a talk, like a keynote talk or even share an audio. They're like, you can write an amazing blog post. You can write an amazing essay. If you're someone who doesn't feel comfortable speaking, either prepared speeches or off the cuff like speaking like we're doing right now, you can actually just write it down and share it online. And that might be the extent of what your marketing looks like is the written word. You can put it in a book. You could put it online. You have all these options. You could put it on social media if you want, but 
there's never just one version that it must take. And we are not required to all do the exact same thing. Yes. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) So with you, I, I just think it's such a good message that I I mean, I, I try to say something similar and, and again and again, like find the thing that, that works for you and that, um, you know, yeah, it might challenge you a bit, but that also feels feels right for you. And that also those formats can change. There are so many of them to choose from, experiment, play around with, but it can be very easy, I think, for folks to look at somebody else or just, you know, like people on the internet. And it's like, oh, I need to be like them. Actually, you don't. (laughs) You can do it your own way and find your way of doing it that makes it work for you. Yes. Right on. Well, Kat, this has been so amazing. Um, I've this has just given me a lot to continue to think about and to chew on in my own work. And I think will be valuable for so many people from from different angles. And I just appreciate you also cha- um really being a champion of our friendships, our relationships, our connections with other people in whatever environment we're in, because at the end of the day, I mean, this is, this is like the, such the core of human beings and life being with others and, and connecting with others in different ways. So thank you for being here and sharing and also doing what you do. Thank you too, for everything that you do, Camille, you are endlessly inspiring to me. I'm so glad we met all those years ago at that UX conference. And I'm so happy that we could share this conversation today. And if anyone wants to reach out or connect with me. I'm, I'm, as I mentioned, regularly booking talks, mostly virtual, sometimes in person. They can find out about that at catvelos.com, K-A-T-V-E-L-L-O-S.com or at wesheetgettogether.com. And I would love to hear from, from anyone out there. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. And we will put that in the show notes as well. All right, Kat, thank you again. Have a great day. Thanks, Camille. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Storytelling with Heart podcast. Want to turn your thoughts into leadership and your ideas into words that make a difference? Find me and discover more free resources at www.camilledeputter.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to my email newsletter where I share stories, free tools, and other storytelling guidance. And never forget, your story matters. Your story matters.